from the Hill Country of Texas, this is One Radio Network. Very pleasant good evening to you. This is Patrick Timpone. And this is One Radio Network.com. It's a Tuesday night, April 28th, 7 o'clock Central, 7 p.m. Central Time. Could be any time where you are because we're broadcasting worldwide every night, 7 p.m. Central, on One Radio Network.com over the Internet. And we may talk about the Internet tonight. With Alan Watt, who's our first guest tonight. And uh, so please uh, welcome Mr. Watt with me. Alan Watt, who's been on the show before. And uh, excellent man when it comes to research. Researching on just how this world works. Who's behind it. What they're up to. Why they're up to what they're doing. And how they do it. His website is called CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Several books. You can get a cool volume one, two, and three of his works. And uh, those are called Cutting Through the Matrix, different ideas, and then Waiting for the Miracle. Lots of CDs, DVDs, all kinds of stuff. And up Canada Way, Mr. Watt, good evening. How are you, sir? It's a pleasure to be back on, and I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, And you are in Canada, correct? I am, yep. Mm-hmm. Is it uh, began to sprung any spring there yet or are you still working on winter it's still delayed at reaction i think it's still coming and the buds are uh, ready to go and probably in the next two weeks we'll start to see the green appear mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well obviously you you have a lot of quiet time up there to yourself and your work and i'm curious i was thinking about it this morning about our conversation tonight and with everything that's going on today, especially, of course, the financial stuff, which we'll get into, Alan Watt, I'm curious about what kinds of things you think about and where you're putting a lot of your research uh, You know, these days, in the last two, three, four, six months after this whole financial thing really kicked up its, 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 uh, its ugly head, as they say. What, are, what kind of things are you really keen on these days? What I really think about is the fact that we're in a, a, a since especially since about 2001, we've been on a roll. Even before that, really, with Gulf War One, that was really the signal for a whole new series of changes to take place worldwide in geopolitical restructuring. Um, what it really is is, is an ongoing war of standardisation of one culture, one system across the planet. And within that one system, you have all the systems, education, finance, etc., etc., etc. Plus, you also have um, the big foundations at the top that really truly guide uh, politicians. They buy and sell them, in fact. They put them into power. Many of the politicians at the top, most of them are all members of the CFR, as as most listeners know. Um, So we're, we're simply working through a script 
that, that works intergenerationally and Professor Carl Quigley summed up this organization very well being the historian for them he was the authorized historian uh-huh. for this world society and he was, he was for everything that they were doing he objected a little bit about some of their methods uh, about, about keeping secrecy from the public but basically he said that foundations and in the 1800s big foundations sprang up on behalf of the big banking families international mm-hmm. and they literally guide control almost every facet including education of societies across the planet they, f- they fund the universities, they fund academia yeah. uh, so we're shaped, you see we're shaped along a particular path but they, they literally um, started off with eugenics being at the top of their list and that, that basically in a post-industrial society that they saw coming in the 1800s uh, they considered there would be too many people on the planet, they had to reduce the population to make them manageable and some of their founding members of some of their branches like the Fabian Society, George Bernard Shaw uh, he's up on, on Google there an old old talk where he says eventually the public will have to come to us and he class themselves himself amongst the superior type of evolved type of human he says eventually people will have to come to us and justify why we should allow you to live why we should allow you to live yes and so literally what you have it's not good enough to be born anymore and simply to exist. Uh, 30, 40 years ago, if you asked an average person, uh, what are you all about? They'd say it's none of your business. Uh, you didn't have to justify your reason for existence. It was taken for granted. You live, I think, therefore I am, and that's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. Now, in this new brave new world they're bringing in that the Huxleys wrote about in the 1930s uh, on behalf of these big foundations, um, we, we find that now they're, they're basically saying that through propaganda that you must have a purpose to serve the world state. That's also part of the charter for the Council on Foreign Relations. I, I wonder, Alan Watt, is, is if one thinks or they do or whatever the term is correctly control the world, control the people with the money and everything that we'll, we'll get into tonight, mm-hmm. well, why, why, why does it need to be one culture? Or one world, or one currency. I mean, as long as you control it anyway, yeah. why not? Why not just? Why get the people all feisty and scared with mm-hmm. moving to one? Just keep them the way they are. As long as you control it, what does it matter? With them, it's not good enough. They're, they like everything to be tidy and formatted. We're dealing really with a, a mentality uh, that's the ultimate control freak, you might say and having everything uh, people doing their own thing within a system is not good enough they want a standardized world culture because the, the bottom line is to program people like computers generation to generation mm-hmm. along the same format if we're all living within our own, own little spheres it's more difficult, it's more time consuming for them but if it's a standardized world culture now the world culture will not be American you see, they're, they're using the U.S. and the finances and the military power of the U.S. to bring it all about. But as to be a new uh, global culture, if you noticed, if you noticed since 2001, um, pretty every freedom that we thought we had has been taken from us, and it's, it hasn't stopped yet. So, so the old American idea of individualism which the U.S. was known for, that's why it stood up uh, across the planet, it stood out, 
was individualism that has been classified in the United Nations as the most extreme enemy of, of the world and peace is individualism we must all be the collective now you see a massive kind of socialist uh, absolutely Fabian socialism to the extreme mm-hmm. it's more far left as far as the way of ruling is uh, you see they're using collectivism as a club of Rome said to you, for massive bureaucracies worldwide to rule the people but at the top all the writers the major writers in, in the last hundred odd years like Charles Galton Darwin in his book The Next Million Years and he's a grandson of Charles Darwin he said we the elite will not alter ourselves but we will alter literally alter genetically uh, the masses to serve us better he says there's always existed a form of slavery with a dominant minority on top he says I presume there always will be Huxley said the same thing because they were basically members of the same family <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and they the, the, the said that they must retain their ability for self-preservation because they will be making the decisions for survival of the planet but the masses won't need that we'll be dumbed down genetically altered run by experts we won't have to think or decide about anything that will be done for us from cradle to grave and that's what they call world peace when we basically are unable to even think about fighting back well speaking of altering the world genetically we have one of the foremost experts on genetically uh, genetic engineering genetically modified organisms foods mm-hmm. uh, next hour uh, Jeffrey Smith yeah. and so uh, we're going to be talking about that at 8 o'clock tonight central time right here one radio network well, it's, it's hard for us. Why? You've studied this so long. Have you been able to understand what gets these people off? Mm-hmm. Or, or, in other words, what would be, what would be the upside or the pleasure of controlling millions of people who are like robots bumping into each other with no, no, with no uh, resistance, mm-hmm. just kind of mind-numbing people? That seems like a very dull kind of existence for the people at the top. What could be the pleasure in that? When you go into, just follow history down through the ages, mm-hmm. and you look at all the famous people and conquerors in history, now today we, we term them as psychopaths. Mm-hmm. Because Hitler's, Hitler's, Alexander the Great's, um, William the Conqueror, mm-hmm. uh, they had an incredible, we can't fathom the lust for power over others. We, we cannot even get into their mindset. It's so foreign to us. And because of that, we miss it often until it's too late and they've already risen to power. But these wealthy families down through the ages intermarry each other. Now, they, they become incredibly wealthy since they plunder. They start off plundering other countries. Mm-hmm. And those families that, that succeed them, the dynasties, end up getting all the tributes. Today we call it taxation, but taxation is tribute. And you end up, they end up phenomenally rich. But there's one thing about them. They do pass on their psychopathic tendencies to their offspring and when you get the man and the woman for both from dynastic families who won through conquering and slaughter uh, you basically are marrying psychopath with psychopath guaranteeing the offspring will also have that ability that trait um, the psychopath has one fear and that's the public because he knows perfectly well what he's doing to the public he knows he's robbing them he knows that as far as he's concerned they are there to serve him so they live in fear there's always fear of rebellions uh, uprisings Uh, that's what 
the, keeps them going. That's what keeps them going. They, they live in this incredible fear. That is why we're now under a world police state of total information collection. And when they say total, they mean total. They mean all internet, all telephone calls, all communications. They must have everyone, every citizen across the planet, put down as completely predictable. Only then can they sleep well at night. That's why they're going to such incredible extremes. It's really spooky. I, I, so it's almost like you're saying, speaking of genetically altered, it's almost like it's in these people' DN, their DNA or their 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 genes, or they're just breeding. Yeah. They they breed themselves to be like this. Yes, and uh, see, Plato went through this, and Plato is a hero to these characters. They always quote Plato and the Republic, where Plato talked about uh, the aristocracy's right to rule, hmm. and he called the, the other people the its. The common people were called its. And Plato said, uh, in his day, he said, we could uh, interbreed the common ones, tall ones together for tall offspring, for picking apples, short ones for mining, all that kind of stuff. So they knew just like animal husbandry, they could create different varieties of humans for different tasks, and he thought this was a wonderful idea. Because they'd already done it with domestic animals, you see. But today they've taken a step further and went into genetics. And there's been so many articles come out, even since the Huxley's Brave New World. Yeah. Um, in the 1930s, here they are talking about literally creating purpose-made people, ideal design, ID, that's what it really stands for, uh, for the purpose that you are born and created to serve. That is, an int we're now on the, the path to that. We have one thing standing bef between the goal and the present, and that's us. Because we still like to breed the old-fashioned way. Mm. They're trying to bring out a generation over the next 30 years that will be genetically enhanced or modified or even put together from scratch to serve them better, where they themselves at the top uh, will not alter themselves. They want to alter the brain as well, you see, to be more efficient but more subservient. And at the, the I think it was a Loyola University meeting in Louisiana, the first one, go one every year now, World Science meeting to do with chipping the public, and it's always headed off by Newt Gingrich. Uh, from the very first meeting in 2000, the, the, the expert from Japan in bioengineering in the chip said, we have the chip now, the brain chip, ready to go. He says, once it's installed, we won't have a society as we know it, because uh, you'll hear whispers of our central computers, regional computers going to you and to those around you. It says, think of it more like the beehive, where basically the, the, the central computers will be programming you for your tasks. And he said, this is ready to go. 600 pages were churned out from that meeting. Hmm. Uh, it says, this is ready to go. Technology for this, all right. Yeah, it says, all we have to do now is convince a generation to take it, to accept it. And he says this will be promoted through mainly through fiction, through novels, through movies, sci-fi, sci etc., uh -huh. cartoons for the young. Uh, they all think they're going to be big heroes, G-men, and etc., etc. And he said, see, it's intergenerational. These guys literally work intergenerationally. That's why they can always pull off their, their goals 
uh, they can change us over one generation, two, three. Now they're on a roll where they can program us and update us like a computer program every couple of years. It's so quick now. We adapt. You see, the human species, like Skinner said, the behaviorist, the human species adapts so quickly and so easily that they can therefore create any reality and very quickly we think it's normal. And then they can create the next reality and we think that's normal. So we, we're in that phase now. Yeah. Yeah, so then the Internet is, is actually working to their advantage. That's why they gave it to us. Yeah. yeah. I, I've always supposed that. It just felt like, well, if the boys, these people really didn't want this thing to happen, they never would have let it happen, would they? That's right. That's right. In fact, Kissinger... Uh, Brzezinski too, Brzezinski wrote in his own book in the 1970s Between Two Ages he talked about the coming internet he said a communication system that we will, we will give to the public he said up until then it would only be used by the military industrial complex mm. but he said it, it really will have different benefits but one of them will be to standardize the world culture that's why Al Gore was given the task, uh, at least the front task, as a, as a head piece, basically, of promoting uh, No Child Left Behind, everybody on a computer. And if you notice, step by step, they've dished out technology that they've always had in pieces to us, thinking we're actually on the cutting edge. But everything they give us is really obsolete, even before they give it to us. And step by step it's becoming so confusing on the internet programs aren't uh, working properly they're all interlock they're locking each other up etc and the answer they have said which they knew at the very beginning is they led us along this path and called it your personal computer hmm. that was to throw you off from thinking about your information being used by all these big um, government agencies the, the goal was always to bring you into this new system that's coming out this year this will be the final system and it's called the cloud the cloud? Yes, and all major universities now in Europe are coming into the cloud. It's, an, it's a system where you will be unable to store anything on your own computer. You won't need to. They'll say it's so easy. You simply sign on with them. You get a number code. You punch the number code in. It takes you in. Remote servers will hold all your data. They'll do all the virus scans. They'll do all, all the prob problem fixing. You, you'll have more time to play. That's the idea. But, you, but the thing is, you're now totally dependent upon them for everything that you use the computer for because they have, they'll give you access or not. And it will be used as a form of social approval or disapproval, meaning punishment. What and, do you mean by that, mm -hmm. Alan? Well, social approval or disapproval. This is a technique used at the United Nations. Um, uh, it was first talked about by Lord Bertrand Russell, who worked for these boys. All his, his whole life he said eventually a system will come in of currency worldwide where people will be issued credits see money can be anything this is numbers anyway but he said you will eventually um, say on Monday you'll get so many credits in your account everyone will get the same you can't save them up the idea of, of keeping us all down and flat all the same equality except for the lead of course and so on a Monday, the next Monday you're back at the same number again, same figure but if you object to any part of the totalitarian system that he knew back then in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s that they were going to bring in they will punish you by locking out your credits until you buckle down and comply, that way you can't pay your rent, mortgage or whatever in the system coming up there will eventually be no private property, rental only According to the United Nations Agenda 21, that's their policy. Hmm. And, and I think there's what there's only about two or three percent of of real 
kind of circulating dirty money out there. It's all digital already. Th that's correct. And so this basically social approval and disapproval technique is what they used in China. That's why it's a model state. They used it by creating social disapproval amongst the public. You can make the public adapt to any part of your culture, a new culture, and now your neighbors will actually pull you off if you have a second child and you're pregnant. They'll, your neighbor, At one time it was a red guard who would come and pull you off to force an abortion. Now you don't have to. Your neighbors themselves will pull you off. So you've created, created a form of stigmatization, and it's called you either you use either approval, very simple Pavlovian techniques, you're a good citizen, or you're a bad citizen. if you're a bad citizen, you, you have social disapproval. Two men at the United Nations came out and boasted how they used this technique on the World Health Organization, United Nations, uh, war on smoking. They were the guys who kicked it off. And they use the same techniques through education, through school, until children literally will, will flap their hands and panic if they see someone lighting a cigarette 20 yards away. That's Pavlovian technique. The World Health Organization and these two particular authors of this, about this uh, technique said they're now working on the war on obesity. They're going to use the same techniques of stigmatization on those who are obese oh, to yeah, force them to conform. Lot, yes. You hear that a lot. Yes. So these are all scientific techniques that the behaviorist psychologists are using on us all the time. Really? And the public are unaware of it, oh, of the reasons why. So these guys are that good, Alan Watt. These guys are that, are that yeah. clever, that well organized, that well thought out, planned out. I mean, I guess this is how they spend their day since they don't work. Well, also they have the universities. See, they have all of academia working for them now, studying, testing, trial methods, etc. But unknowingly working for them, I guess. Oh, many of them know. Because, see, there's hardly a university on the planet that does not take a grant from the big foundations. Every university in the U.S. and Canada gets a grant from Rockefeller and the other ones. I see. Yeah, that's how it works. So when you got the money. Well, let's talk a bit about the money. Now, as you well know and we all know, I guess it was the fall of 07. I guess, is that when this stuff really kicked off? Uh, was it yeah, well, the money part. Yeah, was, yeah the money like, part. Yeah. Now, in your in your opinion, and you follow these people, I mean, if we talk about the, and we'll talk about, I want to get your ideas on this IMF and the BIS and the, and the Fed and, and how these things are all tied in. We've never really got in that with you, but do you think this money fiasco that's going on now was a planned event? Yes. Yeah, I've been over this uh, before because here's here's why. If you read the top economists and those who teach economy economics. Uh, they'll say in their own textbooks that it is literally, uh, it's almost like treason for an economist ever to tell the public bad news because the stock market is based on optimism. It's a gambling casino. It's, a, it's the biggest gambling casino there is. And so you always produce optimism. So if that comes from the top economists, when they get a president of the United States, the top man, to come out publicly and tell you that we're going to have a crash and it could be worse than the last Great Depression, that tells you that someone's told Mr. Bush Jr. to do this. Then you tie it in to the system we've been living on since World War II that was designed and set up, or at least it was formalized at the Bretton Woods Agreement. Uh, and Jordan Maynard Keynes supposedly was the author of it, the main architect, as you like to call it. 
Now, you go into the writings of John Maynard Keynes, an utter uh, globalist, socialist. He believed in, in the, 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 the elite's right to rule the masses in a scientific fashion. And that's what socialism really is. And uh, he said, this is part one, Bretton Woods was part one. He said, this system will last maybe 50 years. He says, because, he says, we, we the authors of it, will not live to see it in our lifetime, part two. When was Bretton Woods, was it? Uh, it was right at the end uh, of, of, of the war, right? World War II, yeah. yeah. Okay. And he said, part two will, will come in. Now, part two was designed for a single monetary authority to dish out the currency for the planet. That was to be the job of the World Bank and the IMF. They both worked together. And lo and behold, I said before when the crash was stopped, they started to mention the crash coming, I says, okay, I guess that's Bretton Woods too coming in. And I says, look out for the IMF and the World Bank to be put up to their full power. And after all this play acting for the public for two or three weeks that's exactly what the mainstream came out and said that's the solution we're going to have the IMF dishing out uh, these new, this new credit money system to the entire planet we're just living a, a script here yeah, yeah. And, and it was announced I think just uh, several days ago on this April 28th that the IMF now is laying the groundwork to print their own bonds That's right. so they're going to create right. their own money similar to the Federal Reserve and also now the Federal Reserve mm -hmm. you know is now going to have their own bonds so they don't have to even buy treasury bonds yes that's right but it seems like the dollar is going to going to be the one though I mean this is probably their one world currency it will be for a little while it doesn't matter which one they choose yeah it's all the same <laughs> it's all the same because see the IMF uh, regardless now has the power to tell any country what your particular currency uh, should be valued at. Not, not, the, not the nation, uh, but the IMF, that's the deal. And we had a gentleman on from Argentina who's saying it's amazing that when they do a big project like in Argentina, yeah. they don't just uh, print pesos and do it in pesos. They actually borrow money yep. from the... <laughs> it's amazing, yep. Alan. They borrow money from the IMF at this mm -hmm. at interest... They borrowed dollars. Yes, and if you go into the IMF and the World Bank, look, look at the foundations of both of them. And all they are are front organizations for the same 12 to 13 world banking families that we're already in debt to. So they're private corporations, you see. So the same people, the Goldman Sachs and the, and the same people. It's really the coup d'etat where they're, they're putting the cap on the pyramid. They now own the world financially as well. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about uh, these people, the IMF, the Goldman Sachs, um, J.P. Morgan. These, these, are the, these are the big boys. Aren't they not Alan Watt? They own the Fed. They own the IMF. Yeah. And... Um, there's got to, is there is there like a, a wide uh, big swath of people that are calling the shots or are there are there just a few? Would you have any way of knowing? There's definitely um, there's definitely underneath the names of the companies many families um, that, that have emerged through intermarriage with them under many names. We all know each other, of course, and so you have a banking elite. Now they came out. 
um, more openly in the 1700s. The 1700s was a time, remember, of world revolutions right into the 1800s. Most of the public don't realize uh, that there were incredible, uh, incredible extremist um, groups funded by these same bankers. Uh, in fact, the bankers themselves used these uh, these revolutions to gain more wealth over over countries and nations, etc. It falls in with Albert Pike. Even Albert Pike said, "He said we and he was a pope of Freemasonry, which was a revolutionary organization more openly then. And he said in his own book, Morals and Dogma, he said we must gain money by every means possible and power and wealth by using everything, including the stock market. And he hinted at even manipulating it too." and then become masters over the masters of the world. Now, what masters was he, was he talking about that already existed? He meant kings and queens and the old families that basically were hereditary and got their money through taxations, etc. Um, and so now, yet, so they have risen up uh, a fraternity, a banking elite that started off within revolutionary parties as part of the revolutionary parties whose sole intention was to raise these families up to world masters of, of control or by economic means because even then they knew that economics was, a, was one of the most vital parts and simplest parts of warfare if you own the economic system of the world you own the world yeah, you just control the money, and then you—that's the game. That's simple as that. We're all trained. I mean, you think I used to wonder about it too. I used to think, well, um, who, number one, authorized that money should be used in the first place? You see, now money didn't come in through through gradual acceptance. Money in ancient times was forced upon people when when conquerors would come in with a system, and they bring the money system with them. And then they get the public and a generation used to using money rather than barter, and then they can start taxing it from you. And Karl Marx was quite right, since he was trained by the bankers. He said he said that taxation is is simply um, a, a slavery under different guise. Yeah. Do you see anything on what going on in the world of finance with with all that we hear day in day out of the, whatever, whether it be General Motors or the IMF or. Uh, Things that are happening in in the UK that I want to ask you about that that's that's getting in their way or posing as obstacles or are all systems on go where they just kind of plan I mean everything is just going to plan I guess my question is yeah it's all going to plan because yeah. everything at the top is utterly intermeshed now They're, everyone's on board that's mm -hmm. it that's the, with their own term everyone's on board so all the captains of industry all the captains of the finances etc they're all on board mm -hmm. on the same plan yeah so they can really step on the gas now yes they can uh -huh. yeah and boy when you can inflate the dollar this currency and and lower its value simply by printing more money. Boy, that's that's real slavery, isn't it? It, it is slavery because everything that, that they supposedly borrow, this abstract nothingness that they borrow that we have to pay back in real goods, uh, you see, that's the technique of ensuring intergenerational slavery. We can't pay up. Britain only paid off its debt from World War One in the late 1990s. 
It still has World War II, Korea, and so on to go. Really? Yeah. And on top of that, uh, see, the U.S. is the same. They don't, they don't realize they're paying for all these different wars. Mm-hmm. And now you, ha- you have this massive fraudulent bailouts where they've guaranteed another 10, 12 generations of citizens mm-hmm. uh, paying off the debt for, for the present collapse. Mm-hmm. You were born in Scotland, so you're certainly familiar with that part of the world. Why does it seem that the U.K. is is imploding or do whatever they're doing faster than than the United States. It seems like they're really in hard straits over there, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better as it is in It's not meant to. It's not meant to. Are they ahead of the curve uh, purposely? They're ahead of the curve on purpose. In the 1970s, uh, after years of reading stuff on Malthusian depopulation and all the big foundations and think tanks that kept harping on about depopulation, I looked into an, an economics, etc. Um, sustainability was being used back in the 1920s by the foundations. Um, after looking at all of that, you see Britain itself is the, the leader. It's from the 1500s for revolution of the world. Uh, it was the leader. They, they first came out with the idea of global free trade only if you joined that system and adopted that London system. And in the 1500s, and they even gave the term of countries who would come in. They gave the term in the 1500s, most favored nation trading status. Oh, yeah. You hear that a lot, don't you? So here you are, John Dee at the Queen Elizabeth I court talking about all this very stuff. Hmm. And so they wanted a world order based on Britain. Then you pop into the, the, the future, into the, into the 1800s, and, and then you find Cecil Rhodes being a front man, again, along with Lord Rothschild, to set up the Rhodes Foundation for world governmental trainees. You train world government leaders through it. And the U.S. bureaucracy and politics is riddled with Rhodes scholars. So is Germany, every other country. And that blossomed into the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which his sole goal, again, was through academia, through networking, through every institution on the planet, they'd bring us into this new socialist world government. And an American branch is called the Council on Foreign Relations. So it's a world that Huxley said is going to be a form of scientific dictatorship. Uh, that ties in with Lord Bertrand Russell, who was also a member, who said that we will train everyone to obey experts. You will, you'll have no choices on, on anything. Experts will tell you and, and order you as to what to do on every topic. What term did you use? Scientific? A scientific he called it scientific dictatorship. Scientific dictatorship. And so the scientists, the academia, are used between those who rule the economic system Mm-hmm. and the general population. If you notice now, um, you have all these big pharma companies that simply lobby governments and get them to sign bills to make it mandatory that we, we accept every inoculation that they deem we should have. Yeah. Well, you see, that's again, we have no choice in the matter. They're using law, the legal system, uh, and getting things written into law. We have the citizens of the planet, especially Britain, that is a forerunner for everything that's to come, are being given no choice in anything. So they try stuff out in Britain first? Are the people more docile there, or is the media more compliant? The media, I mean, Britain, with the the British uh, Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC, that's a government agency, are probably the most advanced with their techniques on control through media and propaganda, entertainment, uh, etc., than any other country. I've always thought of them as so 
I don't know, upstanding and 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 uh, uh, what's the word? Credible, but not so. Not so. Uh, everything that you see, even through fiction, is like Jacques E. Lull, who was an expert on propaganda. Hmm. He said that you don't realize that every cop show that you see that, that really is a fictional series or whatever, right. or any hospital drama especially, or anything to do with, say, child's agency dramas, these are all propaganda exercises really? where you are getting a fictional idea of something that gradually is teaching you through fiction that it's not a service, it's an authority. And now all the services, just like Lenin said, that they would set up across the world, you see, the police are actually a service. You don't realize that. The police, the medical authorities, are a service. Uh, child's care is a service, but now, uh, through indoctrination only, we've come to realize, see them as actually authorities that we obey. Yeah, and that's the how you train the public through what they call predictive programming, both fictional and non-fictional. Like in this country, Alan Watt, I mean, child protective services yeah. can just come and take your kid if they don't like uh, the way that you're raising them or your neighbors uh, complain. Yes, and they can bring SWAT teams now with them. Sure, yeah. I, I know. I've seen some of the trucks and. Well, they did it with those uh, those people in West Texas, right? Those, yeah. And they had trucks with masks, and it was just, it was amazing what they did. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking with Alan Watt and his website. Really fun stuff is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. He has lots of books, uh, DVDs, uh, CDs and stuff. And also, he'll uh, gladly accept your donations. As our site, he's a donation site. There's a lot of people doing a lot of wonderful work around the world. And as you can tell, he's doing this kind of research to get it out there. And it's it's not the easiest thing in the world these days to make money writing books and stuff. It just it just isn't. They're artists, and uh, it's not it's not easy unless you're the Beatles or something. So so if you got a few extra bucks and you like what he's doing, well, send it to him and help him uh, pay the rent up there because it gets cold in Canada. My name is Patrick Timpone. This is OneRadioNetwork.com. And in just a few moments, well, maybe 20 minutes or so, in that range, we're going to visit with Jeffrey Smith, who is the author of Seeds of Deception. He's one of the foremost authorities on genetically modified organisms, GMOs. Been looking forward to this. This fellow travels around the world, and so we should really get an earful with GMOs with Jeffrey Smith coming up soon right here on One Radio Network. Alan, want this idea of eugenics that... That there are these people really think. Uh, you tell me what it is, but I, my understanding that these people who run the world that we've been talking about, they they really believe Alan Watt that there's just too many people, and we just have to kill a bunch of them, or do we want to try to get uh, the, the cream of the crop kind of Hitler's blue-eyed, blonde hair thing, or both? At one time they thought they would get the cream of the crop, but now through genetic engineering. Uh, they, they don't really have to. They have the DNA of almost everyone alive. And uh, now they admit, of course, that they've been collecting DNA since about the 1950s and samples from every baby born. Oh, do they take it from a baby? Yes. Oh. And, uh, and so they have everyone through the Human Genome Project that we didn't find about, out about until it was finished. I mean, we, we never know what's happening at the time, never. And we're never given the real reasons, of course. of course. So when a baby's born, Alan Watt, today, they swab and get the DNA? 
Yes, and in a lot of the states in the U.S. too, they also give them pinpricks and to even take a blood sample. Really? Yeah. Well, I know there's spooky things that goes on in this country with the with the birth certificate and all that entails and yeah. and and being uh, pledged against the debt and all of that, as you probably well know. So there are people they they so their stated goal then they want to really uh, lower the population uh, by a big number or can you give us some ideas? Well, they've, they've said in different figures. David Suzuki in Canada talked about uh, so many hundreds of thousands per day would have to die to save the world that they envisage coming into play. Really? Um, he said on national television. Uh, many of the other uh, leaders now have read reports from Britain. There's one you should look into. It's called Optimum Population Trust, another big eugenics foundation, and they've got many different figures on, on what they want the, the population to be. But at the same time, what doesn't tie in, you see, if you really understand uh, all the different statistics that they run by, you go into the United Nations and they'll tell you that their latest report says that the male fertility is down by 85% mobile sperm. Yes, sir. It's it's amazing how, how low it is. Now, lowest ever. And it really isn't amazing when you realize that we know the causes, the causes being uh, that literally uh, not only in the womb does it hit the male fetus, if the woman is using cosmetics, etc., they're all laced with bisphenol A's, etc., mm-hmm. goes through the skin, but also it's been in their baby foot, uh, they even rinse the jars with the stuff, and then uh, he grows up eating stuff, uh, processed foods, and it's, it's through everything, so... Definitely the male has been targeted, and it's working. And this is standard if you go into warfare techniques. This mm-hmm. is standard warfare technique. They've known these statistics since the 1950s, and it's only now they're starting to admit to them to the public. Mm-hmm. So we've been under a war. See, we're already under the, the process of depopulation. One of the fastest-growing industries is infertility clinics. Really? Yeah. And as you know, as you as you uh, alluded to, Alan Watt, that we talk about on our health segments these xenoestrogens just in every plastic and plastic is everywhere and they made that popular too they made it popular and gave you no choice until you couldn't find glass bottles with anything in them uh-huh. yeah do you think this swine flu thing that's going on right now uh what's your take on the one that's happening right now is this is this going to be a big one or do you do you, what's your theory I don't think it'll be a big one. The reaction to it will be big because the training is step by step of the, the inevitable one to come. Uh, but, but apart from the, the big farmers making billions of dollars and sudden grants will be thrown at them to find a vaccine, and nothing much will happen. Gradually, though, they will release something that's real. And pandemics is the best way to go because a pandemic, you see, you can take a population down uh, slowly. Uh, it's rather than one big mess, as you would have with an atom bomb, um, we bury our dead. So we can take it over over a generation, so many dying here and there, and then it springs up, then it goes dormant and springs up. So it's the ideal way to bring a population down over, say, 50 years. Have you seen evidence to confirm that this one going on now, this this uh, epidemic they're talking about, with the swine flu is a, is a man-made uh, uh, entity? Oh, there's always evidence of it because, I mean, I have reports here, I'll even read them tonight on the air, okay. of um, the studies that were done with the avian flu that killed the 1918 flu, uh, the so-called Spanish flu, and how the researchers actually put it, the killer one together with the common flu to see if it would work. 
Back in 1918. No, they've done it now. They've, they've actually oh, they've put they've actually put the 1918 one, which they recovered live virus. Mm -hmm. They've now mixed it with the common uh, uh, presently uh, flus, mm -hmm. and uh, they have a new, a new killer one. So making them is the easiest thing to do. Yeah. It's the easiest thing to and do. And how do they get them out there? Well, if you notice that Baxter Laboratories, that was in, uh, part of IG Farben and helped build up the German war machine, uh, they still they made a mistake a, a few weeks ago. You probably saw it in the paper where it's a, a mistake where they, they sent out yeah. the H5N1 bird flu uh, along with mixed in with the common flu uh, virus by mistake. They said to a whole bunch of laboratories. Well, that's how they'll get it into the public is through inoculations. Uh huh. And so the one that's going on now, your 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 theory is that this is not a big one or anything, but you have these, so you have kind of small explosions or small suicide bombs before big ones, something like something like that. Because because um, number one, uh, supposedly it's killed so many people in Mexico, but it's not killing people outside Mexico. Mm -hmm. uh, why is that? Why is that? Why is the so-called AIDS virus killing more more Africans in Africa, but not across the world? You know? I've always wondered about that. See, these are what you have is ethnic-specific viruses. And I've read a report from the Port and Downs military-industrial complex in Britain, the official one, where in the Daily Mail, I think it was, uh, a reporter went in, sat for two weeks with these guys, and he, he was flabbergasted when they talked about having the ability to wipe out any ethnic group with ethnic specific viruses they could literally be let loose would breed multiple millions of times and then after a week or two it would just kill itself off it was it, they could actually program them like a computer wow yeah man that's way spooky yeah that's beyond spooky Alan Juan. that's how far yeah yeah uh, now that's how far ahead they've allowed us to know they are I also uh, want to ask you a bit about uh, this idea and I just I wrote myself a note when you said it that the technology that we get Mm -hmm. We can skip around a little bit if you don't mind. If the technology that we get is out of date when we get it. Yeah. And you know, people say that you hear people say that all the time, mm -hmm. but I don't think they know what they're saying. But it's it is interesting, isn't it? It's interesting, as I say, that the, the initial part was to get everyone on computer until no one can do without it. Right. And they got close to that. Yes. I, people at one time. I mean. Oh, when I was well, up until the 70s even mm -hmm. stock people took stock in stores with paper and pencil and there's no problem adding things up all worked perfectly well and suddenly <laughs> you have people now who can't imagine life without the computer so we're being trained step by step uh, from from uh, as they say this is the cutting edge stuff this year it was by this uh, and it's really obsolete before they gave it to us we've been trained all the way down to the small handheld do it all Mm -hmm. uh, screens till eventually they're going to give you a chip and, and it's as simple as that this is a training exercise down to, to, to what was really the destination and that's to say my god you can, this chip implant you'll see it all inside your mind now they already have the helmets coming out Helmet? this year helmets that will give you the same thing and where you actually have uh, uh, there'll be no touch screen there you'll actually see it in your mind and this is this is uh, in this all the science magazines, and you only see people in the, in the streets with this thing on, waving their hands about, touching nothing that you can see. And I'll guarantee you, it'll take off like like a, like a oh, house on fire. Yeah. Everybody will want to have them. What do you have that? Yeah. What do you What do you make of this whole <laughs> thing with Facebook and Twitter uh, and, and all that? How does this fit into the to their plan? 
Well, again, it's, it's free and everyone's using it to put all their data on. And just today in Britain, they've now announced that, that it isn't just the big spy agencies that can go into all your data for total information network. Now your average cop can go into all your data, your daily transmissions and receptions on everything to do with information. So the more they put out there that the people fall for, and use, and they do, my God, there's people putting their whole life stories up on Facebook. <laughs> uh, so therefore, they're giving them, you see, again, going back to what they said, in a totally controlled society, everyone must be completely predictable. Predictable. And therefore, they do all these surveys on you, who you contact, your friends, what are the interests, what's the common things that bind you all together, mm -hmm. and they have all these different uh, sequences and subroutines, they call them, and you are predictable. Therefore, if one day, if you break your, tr your routine, you'll get a knock on the door to find out what's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. yeah. do you what's coming up for us, do you think, because uh, you must have some ideas and wake up in the middle of the night with... With visions, <laughs> I would think how oh, you get into this stuff so much about about geopolitically with wars in Iran and mm -hmm. and all of that. How does this play into? I mean, one has to believe. Let me first let me ask you: are, Is this all controlled as well? Oh, it's all I mean, who attacks who? Who attacks who? Oh, absolutely. Um, we know for a fact that uh, the last Bush administration, before uh, Bush was in, mm -hmm. uh, the boys behind him, Wolfowitz, drafted it up. It's called the New American Century. Mm -hmm. And they had a policy for geopolitical warfare across the planet with the, the right to go in as first strike mm -hmm. and reshape the whole of the Middle East. Uh, and standardize it. They've got to get rid of the last uh, of, of Islamic culture. See, Islam is the culture. It's not just a religion, it's the culture. Everything revolves around it. And so they're standardizing the planet. Everyone must be on board for this new world order, education-wise, the same inoculation, the same food, uh, all the rest of it. So all they're doing is doing the last tidying up job and also, too, making sure that their own boys get in for all, to own all the resources uh, that that country has to offer. Mm -hmm. So you see something happening soon in, in Iran, if you had to predict? Um, and not so much in Iran. I think Iran, they'll, they'll play the card for a while to keep us all on edge. If you notice, since 2001, we've had one crisis after another. If you put them all together and scattered them out for, uh, through the last few hundred years, it would sound more natural. But here you have all of this crammed in to a matter of nine years. We've had crisis after crisis after crisis after mm -hmm. crisis. This is the age of crisis creation. And the public will never be told the real reasons behind any of it. Just keep them on their toes. Yes. Yeah. Until you actually get... See, once you have a, a herd stampeding, all you have to do is have one or two guys at the head to, to, to point them off to the left or the right direct. They'll go anywhere they're pointed. Ah, yeah. so, so it's constant change. And this is a phase they said that they said they'd bring us up to. Through crisis after crisis, we adapt to constant change until, until we're, we're ran through into a whole new world system that we'd never, ever have thought of. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a slow burn. Uh, you don't, do you think there's anything dramatic going to happen like uh, 2012 or something like that or just a slow burn similar to what they're doing to the value of the dollar? Just it's generally been intergenerational Fabian, that's why they call it the Fabian Fabi. technique of, of slow incrementalism. Once they're in a role in a certain uh, area they can certainly really push it faster if need be and since they have the pulse on the public and all our data and what we're thinking about things, and uh, they, they know how far and fast to push any part of it. There are no secrets then? No. 
No, there's only one agenda, one plan, and it's the regulated, planned world society um, where you will be born. If they need you, uh, you will be born or created to serve the world state. And that's why you've got the service coming out. Britain's brought out a mandatory service. Canada's bringing it out now. The U.S. is bringing This is the CFR where they said that the world they bring into, into being would be one where your sole duty would be to serve the world state. Yeah. Oh. Uh, we read something the other night, Alan White, on the air where the CFR, all the major contributors to the CFR were all these same people. They had a whole list of the top contributors. Yes. The J.P. Morgans and the Goldman Sachs and, and Rockefellers and all of that. What's this with Goldman Sachs? How come How come these boys are so big? I mean, they're right in there, aren't they? Oh, they're right in there. And again, and this, Does this go way back to, like, in, in the Rothschild kind of uh, old that's, money that's like right. that? That's right. And you also had the, the Kuhn and Loeb uh, com- company, and, um, and uh, they're all interrelated, in fact. They're all members of the same families. And we get thrown off by some of the surnames, but they're actually members of the same families. In fact, Jacob Schiff that was sent over to start up Kuhn and Loeb, and company uh, was brought up in the Rothschild home. So he was a Rothschild by a different mother, obviously. So the bankers intermarry as well, just like the other guys. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, these guys are good, aren't they? Well, I've read uh, a book, it's an excellent book to read. It's um, by Ian Taylor. It's called In the Minds of Men, Darwin and the New World Order. Oh. And it's a, he's a scientist himself, but he, he does document the hereditary lineage of the Darwins. And the Darwin family in the, 1700, in the 1800s, too, had only intermarried for five, five generations with one other family, and that was the Wedgwood family of the pottery fame. Wedgwood pottery, and so every every wife, every mother was a, was a Wedgwood, and every father was a Darwin. What was that about? That was they were already doing selective special breeding for certain qualities back in the 1700s. Oh, I see. As were the banking families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the banking families, they continue to do that to this day. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, they generally marry their nieces. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that doing that will kind of make you crazy. Oh, well, I guess it does. Uh, Is that where that comes from, that whole idea? That's right. Um, however, these guys have it sort of worked down to a certain... There's actually a formula as just how far distant they can go. Hmm. And I'm sure today now, I'm certain today with, with the genetic engineering, that they can overcome any problems. Oh, so, yeah, I guess when one takes to heart what you said about everything's obsolete, I guess one can only imagine, Alan Watt, of what what they have technologically that we don't know about. Yeah, I mean, it must be amazing. It must be amazing, because long before Watson came out with the double helix and genetics, uh, you find that the, the greatest mathematician of his day, and that was Rutherford, uh, who did all the calculations for the Royal Society, for the Great Pyramids and so on, uh, he said in his own mem- memoirs in the 1920s that he'd been working for years as a mathematician on genetics. Now, if they hadn't discovered the helix and the genes and so on, but suspected they were, you would not need a math mathematician so they'd already discovered it way back then mm-hmm. how you control a world is always to give uh, an obsolete reality a present reality to the public while you are always at least a hundred or years or more maybe even hundreds ahead of the public what do you mean uh, an obsolete reality to the public we always make the public believe they're on the cutting edge 
oh. first by their education and then we're all saying the same thing so we really do believe we're on the cutting edge we read the science magazines that reinforces this is oh, they're, oh. They're, they're working on this and one day they hope to uh, and then you have all the TV uh, um, documentaries on but really uh, that's to keep you thinking that all this is still to come in reality the boys at the top hold on to power because they already have uh, broken through all these barriers a long time ago are there anything uh, things that that will mess up the plan that these people cannot control there's only one thing huh. there's only one thing and, and that's the individual to literally start to say no uh-huh. to everything that comes down the pike that you must 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 no because what we're doing right now where we re- realize it or not we're consenting to everything that's happening to us by our silence that's our legal consent by our silence and if we're life and individuality and the right to choose in your life and decide for yourself is your rights then you, you better um, demand it you first must assert it and then tell it itself evident I have it so get off my back if we don't we, we won't be able to move without permission. We're almost there now. Hmm. Yeah. It is interesting because from time to time I hear myself saying to listeners when we talk about this stuff, well, you know, like with the FDA and telling you can or cannot do this. I mean, we're to the point where we, all you can do is just say, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. I mean, yeah. no, just leave me alone. You don't have, you don't have authority. No. Yeah. Because if people say no, well, then that would really stop them because they don't really have enough military or anything else to, to control everybody if everybody just said no, do they? The, the emperor has no clothes. The, the, the technique is hmm. we've all been trained to comply. See, our generation has already passed that mm-hmm. they were taught and trained to comply sure. to authority. Before that, people literally, the average U.S. person would stand up and, and just tell them where to go. Yeah. But it's completely reversed now through gradual training and, uh, and a generation brought up through the schooling system. Um, so people themselves must assert to themselves the right to choose what they want to live, how they want to live, um, what they want to work at, etc. Mm-hmm. And, and what authority you will accept for the public good and, and what authority is not for the public good. Mm-hmm. And we've got to start to tell them very quickly because if we don't, they've already told us where they're taking us. It's a straitjacket. Really There's no bones about it, right? There's none at all. The, the, the U.S. military put out a, a document, a whole bunch, a PDF actually, on the, the next, the projection for the next, their think tanks for the next 50 years. It's identical with Britain, Britain's one and NATO. I've got them both here, I've read them on the air. And um, one of them was 90 pages from Britain. And they see nothing but riots starting from about 2012 right up to about 2050 and now they're not telling you why all these riots will start but well, they know they're going to push every button to get us to comply and we will kick a little bit against the bricks here and there and there's going to be uprisings and, and, and riots etc but they have already decided they're taking us this way regardless and, and the money idea this stuff Alan Watt it's just been in our face unabashed yes. uh, just, just like well here's what we're doing and uh, we're going to you know we're going to print this money and we're going to lend it to the treasury and treasury is going to give it back to the people that printed the money and what are you going to do about it yes <laughs> that's un- right that's unbelievable that's right yeah 
Unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, ha, ha, ha. You know, <laughs> yeah. What they do, because they, they asked him to tell them what they did with this money, and there's 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 just trillions unaccounted for, and these guys are just stealing them. Yeah. Well, Alan Watt, it's always uh, fun to talk to you. I You know, I think after talking to you, we're just going to go out and plant our garden and buy some gold. I mean, that's probably the safest thing to do at this point. How do you how do you protect yourself in your life from all of this? How do you stay out of the matrix? You stay away from most of society as best you can, and you you don't fall for all the freebie stuff they give you. You don't go for popular junk foods, um, all, all of that stuff. You you got to keep your mind alert as best as you can. And, and, and that's well, how you and that's how you're able to to keep a clear head and and see, you know, see the writing on the wall by doing that and not not getting too involved with. The rest of the world like that. That's what you have to do. Uh huh. And you like your life? Oh, I like living. It's, I mean, it's exciting to, to, to be alive and be aware of what's really happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't confuse you, and, and uh, you have the satisfaction that they haven't conquered your mind yet. Uh-huh. So, so you wake up jazzed and, and energized to do more and learn more? Um, I'm, I'm awful busy too. That's, that's what takes up my time, is, is so much to do. But yeah, I like the moments when you can sit back and, and really go into worlds within your mind and uh, and explore them. Yeah. Well, Alan Watt, we're glad you're there. God bless you. Cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Tell folks quickly some of the things they can see on your website. Yeah, you can go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you can see the books I have for sale. You've got hundreds of audios of talks I've given in the past where I give you the histories of this big system. And uh, you can download them. I've also got a site sentinel.eu where you can download transcripts of these and print them up if you want to read them uh-huh. yep. and all those links are on your website cuttingthroughthematrix.com yeah. thanks for being here Alan all it's the best to you bye bye my name is Patrick Timpone he's Alan Watt and he's the real deal he is not thinking in the box Any stretch of the imagination. It's always an honor to talk to him, and we do it from time to time, Mr. Alan Watt. So stay right there. After this quick word, just uh, hang on, because we're going to really dig into this whole thing of genetically modified organisms with Jeffrey Smith, one of the foremost authorities on GMOs. And that's happening in just a moment, right here on one Radio Network. This is Patrick Timpone. Stay right there. Know the source on one radio network. 